Pele leaned in and said something to Freddie. Don't let them change you. Keep working on what makes you different and what makes you special. It was great advice, but it caused me some problems. But what could change Freddie do? Soccer is going to explode and it's going to be around this kid. We were the Beatles. Everywhere we went, it was the Freddie show. And with that came the expectation and with that came the pressure. New episodes of American Prodigy dropped Tuesdays from Blue Wire Podcasts. Blue Wire. With the first pick in the 2009 NFL Draft, the Detroit Lions select Matthew Stafford. Quarterback. Stafford, step it up. Going left side. Watch Calvin. Enzo got him. Oh, baby, that was a rocket. And it's picked off. Intercepted by Darius Slade. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Michael Rothstein Show. This episode brought to you by Bet Online and by Indeed. It is Friday, so you know what that means. That means it is preview day. We talked about it a little bit on yesterday's show. ESPN Green Bay Packers reporter Rob DeMoss, he will be joining me in just a minute. We're going to break down everything Lions Packers, but even more so, we're going to get into some potential head coaching candidates that have Packers ties, some general manager candidates that have Packers ties. So we'll be hitting on really the Lions future as much as Sunday's game against Green Bay, which will be Daryl Bevel going up against a former guy he coached in Aaron Rodgers. That's the one thing I'll hit on before we get into that. Bevel talked a lot about that on Thursday. He told an amazing Brett Favre story about cougar hunting. He talked a little bit about his relationship with Rodgers and how it seemed like it maybe got a little bit worse after he left Green Bay to go to Minnesota, which, as he says, would be expected. And he's just talked a lot about Favre and a lot about his time in Wisconsin. You can read my story on that on ESPN.com today. And I mean, he's a folk hero in Wisconsin. Like he is, he's just, he's a big deal in Wisconsin. He's probably in Wisconsin more known as being the quarterback of Wisconsin during a Rose Bowl win than he is being an NFL head coach. That's just the reality. But his team, however, will, we'll see what happens with the injury report later today, but you get the sense that Kenny Galladay is not going to be back for any portion of this game on Sunday. So he remains out and Daryl Bevel was asked pretty bluntly why he wasn't put on injured reserve. And that wasn't Bevel's decision at the time because Bob Quinn and Matt Patricia were still there. And now it just seems like they're trying to get him back because if you put him on injured reserve now, he's done for the year. So at this point, unless you really need that roster spot to me, unless you absolutely positively know he's not coming back, you kind of just have to roll with it at this point. But the Lions could have done something with that roster spot. Better news on DeAndre Swift and Carrion Johnson. Carrion Johnson practiced in full on Thursday, so he looks like he'll be ready to go. Now the question will be whether he's sharing carries with Adrian Peterson and DeAndre Swift or just Adrian Peterson again. Daryl Bevel seemed pretty upbeat about what DeAndre Swift's practice looked like on Wednesday. Then he went out and had another limited practice on Thursday. So we'll see what Bevel says about Swift's practice today. But this is, I think, the closest so far, it seems like, to Swift maybe being able to play. Now, how much that happens, and I realize from a fantasy perspective, people who are listening might care very much for the first round of their playoffs. That seems to be in question a little bit. Here's what Bevel said when I asked him about that. And we kind of got into it a bit about just kind of, well, was yesterday more, or last week rather, everything blends together, was last week when you said he'd be kind of limited, was that more because of like what's been going on with him or is that more rust? And here is what he said when it came to that. He said, quote, I think it's just different in terms of if we're talking last week, he would have only had an opportunity to maybe get a little bit of reps at the very end of the week. So I think it all depends on the day, how much practice he was able to have during that week because you put different parts of the game plan in. 
If you only get to practice on the end of the week on a Friday, then it's probably going to be a little bit more of a limited role. If you get a full week's practice, then there's going to be obviously more opportunity for you to do more. So considering he's worked limited, now we don't know what that truly means, then that is a sign that he could get more work. Still, I would imagine that you're going to see him maybe get a little bit less of a workload no matter what when it comes to kind of what he does just because he hasn't played for so long. And he said, listen, he's not as worried as much about rustiness as he is about, you know, just kind of making sure he still has a feel for all of it because he hasn't played in a while. So that's going to be something to watch. I don't know what to tell you right now. Here's the key because you're going to pay attention today. Does he practice on a limited basis? Does he somehow practice on a full basis? And does he come out and talk with the media? Because DeAndre Swift hasn't talked with the media in a while. We have been requesting him. And typically when a player comes out and talks with the media, that's a good sign that they're going to play. So if all of a sudden DeAndre Swift is available on Friday, take that as a maybe he might play because that's a pretty good sign. Now, that's not a guarantee. Don't read that as a lock. But I'm just saying that's something to pay attention to. And that's something that as you go forward, you should always look at if there's a player that's questionable or you're not really sure. If he does come out and talk with the media, and again... Not like when Swift got the concussion because that was before he ended up on the injury list, period. Then that's potentially a sign they're going to play that week. Especially in this Zoom culture because they haven't really put any injured players as part of why you haven't heard from Kenny Galladay, even though we've requested him weekly. That they're going to play. Because they haven't really put injured guys on that that haven't played so far. Other than Swift, I, I don't remember another one this year. So just something to think about, just something to understand as we head into the break, and then we'll be right back with Rob Domofsky. <music> 2020 has already reshaped how we work, and it's almost over, much to the happiness of probably everybody. Businesses across the globe are challenged to be their most efficient, which means every hire is critical. Indeed is here to help. Indeed is the number one job site in the world with more total visits than any other job site according to Comscore. Indeed helps you find quality candidates quickly so you can focus on hiring the person you need to keep your business going. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need. You can pause your account at any time and there are no long-term contracts. That's right, no long-term contracts. And now Indeed's new, new way of matching you with candidates instantly delivers a short list of quality candidates who resume, whose resumes on Indeed match your job criteria that you can contact the moment you sponsor a job, making Indeed the only job site that can move as fast as you do. 73% of online job seekers in the U.S. visiting Indeed each month, according to Comscore, total visits. So it's clear Indeed can help you get the quality hire you need. That's why more than 3 million businesses worldwide use Indeed for hiring. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Faster than even Matt Prater's 59-yard field goal went through the uprights. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through December 31st. Terms and conditions apply. And football, as we have seen, is very much back in full swing. And you might not be at a game this year. Only 500 or so people can be in Lions games over the last couple of home games. But you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team player and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to BetOnline today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use that promo code BLUEWIRE at BetOnline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word, BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Now, back to our show. 
My next guest on the show is no stranger to the show. I think he's probably the guest who's been on the most at this point, passing the always lovely Dave Burkett. Rob Domovsky, thanks for coming on the program for another Lions Packers week of pure joy and questions. Mike, I think the first time you we did this was like your second show, right? It like, was. Oh, yeah. <laughs> The second show, and then this will be show number, I think, 182 okay. in a little over a year. So that should tell you how busy I've been, I guess, doing these. But yeah, no, you were on, technically, it would have been the third show, except the first show that we did record with Dave Burkett, the, my engineer at the time screwed up and <laughs> didn't record it. <laughs> so, so you would have been the third guest. Instead, you ended up being the second guest on the show. And uh, I'm grateful for it and grateful for you coming on over and over. So what do you make of the Packers right now? Because the last time the Lions saw them was in week two. And, mm -hmm. you know, and there were some questions about where Green Bay would be at that point. Then they just right. completely flattened Detroit. Where have they gotten gone from there to get to be where they are right now as one of the top teams? Yeah, have? so the, I think, you know, what we know now – and we didn't know then was that um, like the LaFleur Rogers connection has taken off. Um, like it, you know, last year they sort of got through the transition and they won 13 games, like, which obviously any team in the league would love to win. The Lions would love to win 13 probably in two years. But uh, <laughs> the fact that, you know, they did it last year, but like it was kind of ugly, you know, led people to think, um, that a lot of, you know, that, that it was going to be a fall off here. But like what we've seen now is that they've taken the offense to the level that, you know, LaFleur envisioned when he took over and that, and, and credit to Rogers, who's really bought into it, uh, which, you know, a lot of us thought, you know, is he going to buy in? Is he going to listen to this guy who, when he came in, you know, was a 39 year old head coach and put called plays for one year, but uh, you know, for all the criticism of Rodgers over the years, and, and I've, I've done it at times where he's been difficult to coach, uh, he, he has, you know, he has really bought into this, and I think he deserves a ton of credit for that. By the way, just to point out, 13 wins, and you're like, ah, I don't know. The Lions have never won 13 games in a regular season in their history. Yeah, and uh, so what was their record last year? Three? 3-12-1. 3-12-1, and one. what's their record this year? They are 5-7 and seven right now. Okay, so they're not going to get to 13 wins in two years combined, right? Um, no, they would not because the most they would have would be nine. So, no, they, they would not. And, I mean, really, in Matt Patricia's tenure over two and almost three-quarter seasons, they got to 13 wins because yeah. he had six wins his first year, three wins his second year, and he was fired at four and seven. There's a, there's a reason that I don't remember if it was Sports Illustrated or I think it was Sports Illustrated. It was Austin Murphy, I believe. Um, one of the years that McCarthy, I think it was 2000, was it 17, uh, when Rodgers broke his collarbone and the Packers struggled, um, he, he, the headline of his piece was entitled town. Everyone knows Green Bay is called Title Town. Um, that you know, basically, people have become entitled here. That they think it's their right to have a 13-win team every year, and um, you know, it's it's just, it speaks to you know the expectations relative to each team. I mean, let's be honest. I think they'd have a parade here if there was a 13-win <laughs> team because it would also likely mean that they won a division title for the first time since 1993. Yeah, Which, you would think. <laughs> I mean, some of our colleagues at at ESPN were not born the last yeah. time. Most of the Lions were not born the last time they won a division title. <laughs> the uh, you know what McCarthy always said. You know, we don't hang banners for division titles around here. Like in their in their indoor practice facility, they have their third banners for their thirteen world championships. And I, I think he was taking a shot at Minnesota because I think in Minnesota's new it was when Minnesota opened their new. Uh, practice facility a couple three years ago or whatever it was and they there was a big picture and it had all their nfc north banners and mccarthy said we don't we don't hire we don't hang banners for division titles around here as you say you sure it wasn't a shot at the lions because the lions at one point before i believe it was either before it was 
definitely before Patricia, but it might have been before Quinn as well, had a banner for their playoff appearances. Mm, Not even division titles, but like that they were wild card appearances. (laughs) (laughs) Like that's where they were at in Detroit at one point. Uh, So when you look at at the Packers, this year's version of the Packers, this very good Packers team, is their strength still Rodgers or have they found a little bit more balance because of Aaron Jones? Yeah, I, I look, I think what it is, if the strength is still Rodgers, but it's been Rodgers' ability to and look, the numbers for Devontae Adams are off the charts, right? I mean, he's he he's, you know, at the top of all the receiving stats and he's missed two and a half games, which is remarkable that he's like, you know, third or fourth in yards, uh, first in touchdowns, and he's missed two and a half, you know, two full games and half of the Lions game. But but they have other guys, which is, and, and, you know, Alan Lazard has, has had moments where he's been really good. Uh, Valdez Scantling, in spite of a bunch of drops, has had a couple of really good games. Robert Tunyon, uh, the tight end, has had some, some huge moments. I mean, he's got eight touchdowns for crying out loud. The Packers haven't had a tight end uh, that's caught eight touchdowns since I think Bubba Franks. Um, you know, I mean, it's just, so, so, you know, it's, it's, um, or maybe Finley did it one year, but it's, it's, you know, they've found guys. I mean, Mercedes Lewis, um, 96 year old Mercedes Lewis has, has had a big role, you know? I mean, so they've, they've just found other guys. And then Aaron Jones obviously has been, um, you know, has been very good. And this is the time of the year that historically Jones has gotten even better. Last year he had in the final four weeks of the season, he had three 100 yard games. Um, His, his average uh, carries, uh, in December last year were 19 for the whole season leading up to that. He was getting 13 carries a game. So this is the time of the year where Lafleur is going to rely on him more. Uh, and the play action stuff has just been, it's been unbelievable. Like, I mean, every game Dan Orlovsky has broken down like at least one of the pre-snap motion play action touchdowns or big plays that, that they've had. I mean, just go check his Twitter timeline. And it's, it's remarkable. Like, um, Rogers has, uh, I think 18 of his 37 touchdowns, if, if, if I think that's what it is, have come on play action. So, uh, you know, th- that's the LaFleur offense. That's the pre-snap stuff. That's the play action. That's the sucking the defense in and, and the design has been fantastic. And the execution has been even better. I was going to say play action works maybe in green Bay better than other places. And it obviously works for Minnesota often too, because of the caliber of back that's yeah. sitting back there. Right. Yeah. I mean, and then when you part. have, you know, you, 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 like, for example, the Aaron Jones rips off a 77 yard run uh, in the fourth quarter uh, last week. Now, obviously he's not going to get a 77 yard run all the time, but that run look that that's basically the same look as a pass play, you know, like, so they had, they, they had run something earlier in the game where, it was that same look and it was a, and it was a pass, you know, and now all of a sudden, you know, the defense sees that look and they're sitting back. Okay. We've got to, we're going to, you know, this is going to be a pass play and boom, it's the, it's almost the opposite of play action, right? It's the, it's the counter to the pass, which is the opposite of what the play action does. So I want to get into the receivers a little bit. Who is the number real number two at this point? Because it was Lazard the last time the lions played them, but obviously then Lazard got hurt. Where is that actually sit now? Yeah, it's, it's trending back toward Lazard. I mean, the more he's this is what this will be his third game back since he's come off IR, I believe. And um, you know, it was Valdez Scantling while Lazard was out, but it, it, Valdez Scantling is 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 maddening in the sense that he'll make a huge play down the field and then he'll drop a easy pass over the middle. Um, he had a drop on a deep ball last week, but yeah, I mean, it, you know, if if they have everybody. Um, you know, Lazard is, is definitely the two, Valdez Scantling, um, you know, is the three. And, and Equinemius St. Brown had started to get a little bit more in there, but now he's in the concussion protocol and, uh, you know, chance he doesn't play this week. Um, we'll see how that goes. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's and, – and Rogers has the utmost respect and, and trust in Lazard. And, and um, he's not just a possession receiver like he was last year. Where does Tunyon, Robert Tunyon, the one-time Lions practice squad player, fit in that when it ter- comes into hierarchy of who's getting the ball? It's it, Where does that yeah. go for him? Yeah, well, I'll tell you what, when they're in the red zone or what they call it here, the gold zone, because offensive coordinator Nathaniel Hackett uh, 
loves the Austin Powers gold. Is it Goldfinger? Is that the gold uh, member? Gold member, yeah. Goldfinger is James Bond. Uh, so so Hackett's a big Austin Powers guy. So they've named it the Gold Zone here instead of the Red Zone, and they have a bunch of fun with it. Um, so uh, that's where Tunyon, you know, really has become a huge target. Um, and, and you know. When he was with the Lions, everybody probably thought his name was Tanyan, which we thought it was Tanyan until like six weeks ago. And he finally told us, he actually had the PR staff tell us, oh, by the way, uh, it's pronounced Tanyan. And then we asked him on a Zoom call, you've been here two and a half years. Why did you wait this long uh, to tell us how to correctly pronounce your name? And he said, well, I hadn't done anything yet worth making a name for myself. So now that I've done something, I figured I'd tell you guys, which is kind of his, you know, it speaks to his... Um, you know, I guess lack of ego or whatever, you know, he, he, and it's a sense that he, he proved himself first to Rogers because, you know, Rogers had to gain his trust and now he's shown it to the defenses. And, and look, he, he's a guy who was a quarterback when he went to Indiana state and then converted to receiver and then coming out in the draft, you know, he, he put on weight to become a tight end. And, and so he's got receiver type skills uh, you know, which which you see a lot of guys obviously like that over the years. But uh, you know, when when a tight end can be at the tight end size, but still have that receiver background, you know, then then you know he's going to be a threat in the passing game. So since we're talking about the offense, and you did bring up Nathaniel Hackett, I want to discuss him a little bit because in the world of the Lions, it is head coach slash general manager season, and we're going to get into some general manager candidates a little bit here down the road in the podcast, but what has Nathaniel Hackett done over the last couple of years that maybe makes you believe he could be a head coaching candidate? Because this is a guy whose name has yeah. been in and out of mm-hmm. these types of conversations back from when he was even in Jacksonville and make, made Blake Bortles look like a competent quarterback. Yeah, and then Jacksonville then goes and fires him like in midseason the year after, and you know, which is a little bit of a weird you know, situation. Now, the one thing he's not here, Mike, is he's not a play caller. Okay, so, you know, that, that that's always, you know, if you're looking at a head coach candidate, well, he, he's not calling the plays in Green Bay. But if you mm, listen to I'm, Rogers, able to, I'm not a believer of that, that that should actually be something. I don't think that that matters. When no, I don't either. And LaFleur called plays for one year before he was, uh, you know, and that was in Tennessee, not even running, you know, basically the McVay-Shanahan offense. But, look, uh, if you listen to Rodgers, and Rodgers does not blow smoke up, guys, just – to do it. Like if Rogers is going to praise somebody, he means it. And he, I, I don't know that I've heard him be more effusive in their praise for a coach than he has been of Hackett over the last, this over the last, you know, 10 weeks or whatever it's been 12 weeks this season. Cause it has uh, every conversation about the offense that you have with Rogers, it turns to Hackett and how um, one, he gets guys to believe, which, and, and, and I'll tell you what, Mike, like, I know we make a lot and people make a lot of scheme. Um, and, and the scheme here has been tremendous, but the first thing that LaFleur did here had nothing to do with scheme. He just got guys to buy in. And like, we all said, Oh, LaFleur was hired because he worked with McVeigh, He worked with Shanahan and, and that's true. And that was the offense. But what I think everybody underestimated was just his ability to stand in front of a room, whether it's a you know the full you know ninety guy roster in the off season or in that quarterback room where there's four guys, and and the, the ability to get those guys to believe and to buy in, and he did that, um, and and that's what I think you know uh, is should be you know if I was interviewing guys like yeah I'd want to see your scheme and I'd want to know who was going to be on your coaching staff, but I would want to just be able to see how you command a room. And uh, Lafleur and Hackett, um, you know, have done that maybe better than any group combination that I've seen. And in, in, you know, going back to maybe Holmgren, you know, Holmgren had it, um, McCarthy had it too, but in a different sense, in, in more of a um, you know a tough guy sense than than what Lafleur does. And 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 that's what that you know, going back to Hackett, uh, he just has that really likable presence about him, but also can hold guys accountable. And, it, and it's a fine line to walk. Um, to be the good cop and the bad cop at once. And both those guys seem to be able to do that. Um, and, and, you know, uh, the design and the, the, the game planning that goes in, Hackett is, is extremely involved in that. 
he's up in the box, um, coach's box during the games, and he's obviously the one seeing things and telling the floor, you know, what he sees up there. So even though he's not calling the plays, um, you know, that, that he's got a huge input in the play selection on game day. Do you get the sense that he's both A, ready to be a head coach, and B, wants that at this point? Because he's still pretty young. He's still, what, late 30s, early 40s? Yeah, I think maybe 40, he's 40. Look, but this is a guy, his dad is Paul Hackett, right? Okay. His dad was one of the original inventors of the West Coast offense, you know. Um, and really, it's funny because Mike McCarthy got his start because of Paul Hackett. You know, so there's so many ties to the previous coaching staff, to this coaching staff. McCarthy worked for Hackett at Pitt. Um, and Nathaniel has been around it his whole life. His dad was a, you know, a, a head coach, an NFL coordinator, um, uh, an offensive innovator. So I would say Hackett is, you know, he's, a, he's well beyond his years in terms of experience. Um, and, and it, you know, it goes back to what I always say about these things is there's only 32 of these jobs. And if you're in this business, you want one of those jobs. And, and, you know, you know, maybe it's, you look at it and go, well, if I wait a year or two, maybe a better opportunity will come along or, or whatever the case may be. But if a guy is going to, you know, get to get an opportunity to be a head coach, you know, he's going to take it. And Nathaniel Hackett is, is he's, he's no different than all these guys. He wants, um, you know, he wants to be a head coach. So since we're talking about offensive coordinators possibly becoming head coaches, you, you were in Green Bay when Daryl Bevel. Mm-hmm was also with the Packers. Yep. What was Bevel like then when he was working with Farvin Rogers? Well, first of all, you have to remember that he, he's something of a cult hero in Wisconsin. Um, you know, and, and I, this, before I moved to Wisconsin, uh, he led the Badgers to, a, I think it was the 94 Rose Bowl, and, and they hadn't been to a Rose Bowl in like 30 years. And not only did he lead them to the Rose Bowl, but he had this um, – the scramble touchdown and Bevel was not a scrambling quarterback, right? You can find the clip on YouTube. I mean, he's kind of lumbering around the left side and just kind of, you know, plotting his way to the end zone. And it, so, so, I mean, that was just like, he's, he's a folk hero a little bit in Wisconsin, right? I mean, that's nothing to do with, with coaching, but uh, he came with some credibility, you know, in that regard. And, and, and Favre had um, a lot of quarterbacks coaches over his time, some pretty famous ones, you know, Andy Reid, Steve Mariucci, Marty Morningweg, guys that, you know, Lions fans are familiar with in, in, in a couple of those cases as head coaches. But, uh, you know, Bevel was sort of the – he was the last – second to last in line of Favre's quarterbacks coaches. He was he was Favre's quarterbacks coach in 05, which was also Rogers' rookie year. So he had both those guys, um, you know, for one year. Uh, and then the whole Mike Sherman staff got fired here. Uh, but Bevel came, you know, started here as a quality control coach, uh, then was like an assistant position coach, and then became the quarterbacks coach for the last three years. And, and um, you know, a little bit of a do, he was a little bit of a dubious uh, footnote in that he was Favre's quarterbacks coach the year Favre threw 29 interceptions, which was, you know, the highest of of Favre's career, and he threw a lot of interceptions in his career, as as you know. Uh, but but he was uh, uh, it was really at the very beginning stages of his journey to you know where he's become now that was the first time that he had his own position coach he wasn't just like a assistant position coach or a quality control guy so you say he's a, a legend and a folk hero in Wisconsin obviously that predates your time in Wisconsin however I mean do people still talk about Darrell, because I know from my oh, yeah. experience being in Wisconsin, people are yep. like, they're like, oh my God, I remember this team. Very similar yep. to Ann Arbor, where I live. We're like, they're like, I remember that Michigan team back in like 1986. Oh, yeah. Like, yep. is Bevel that type of guy in Wisconsin? Oh, yeah. There's no question because you have to remember um, that Wisconsin football was terrible for like a long, and really Wisconsin athletics. Like, they went to a Final Four in basketball in like 19, I think it was 1947, and then didn't go to the NCAA tournament until 1993. I'm not talking about Final Four. Like they went like 40 some years without going to the tournament. And it was very similar with the football program. Like in the 90s, you know, Barry Alvarez turned it around in, in football and Dick Bennett turned it around in basketball. And, you know, people like think now, you know, Wisconsin's a perennial 
you know, Big Ten contender in both football and basketball, but like for long periods of time and people who, you know, are, are older, you know, remember how bad they were. And, and so those, those guys that kind of help turn it around are revered around here. They, they really are. And, and I think people around here have always followed Bevel, you know, through the ups and downs of his career. And there have been some downs too. I mean, let's not forget, he was the guy who called the, the goal line pass um, that Malcolm Butler of the Patriots inter intercepted of Russell Wilson in the Super Bowl, right? I mean, he was the play caller. That was um, Matt Patricia's all-time best call shining, ever in the Super Bowl. Shining moment, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so, uh, you know, so there have been some, there have been some downs, uh, but, uh, but Bevel is, you know, he, he is, he has been sort of earmarked, you know, anybody who has been a quarterback's coach in Green Bay basically since 1992 when Mike Holmgren got here has, has, most of those guys have gone on to get opportunities, you know, to do greater things, and, and a lot of them have succeeded. What, what is it you think about Bevel from that point in time can make him a success now? Or do you think that it's so far back that it doesn't matter? Yeah, it probably is so far back that, you know, I mean, I, I, I can't really, I haven't watched Bevel closely enough to know, you know, exactly what he's been like day in, day out. Um, but, you know, the fact that he comes from, you know, that West Coast, um, you know, another iteration of it, um, you know, I think gives him a lot of credibility. I want to flip a little bit to the defense now with the Packers in that is Jair Alexander still maybe the best or second best corner in the NFL? Like, has he maybe taken another step this year? Because when we were talking about him back yeah. in week two, you know, we were, we were getting into kind of how they would use him. Has yeah, that his... changed from week two or is he still there? Yeah, he, no, he's – they don't even throw at him half the time, Mike. I mean, like, he doesn't have the interception numbers at all, but he also doesn't have he, – he never gets targeted. Like, I mean, that's the ultimate sign of respect, I think, is that, I mean, he hardly ever gets thrown at. They've used him. Some games they, they um, you know, they'll lock him on a guy. Like, they put him on uh, Mike Evans in Tampa. They put him on Calvin Ridley uh, when they played the Falcons. And then, like, last week they just – he just played right corner the whole time. And Kevin King played left corner the whole time. So, uh, you know, game in and game out, it, it's, it varies depending on how they want to play it. But it doesn't matter if he's on, on just on the right side or if he's moving around. Uh, I mean, it, it's unreal. I mean, there, there was a play, uh, I think it was the Chicago game, that somehow he ended up on Jimmy Graham. And Graham is about six, six and a half. And Alexander is no more than five, ten and a quarter. And it was a, basically a jump ball in the end zone. And Alexander perfectly, he didn't play the ball, but he got enough of a look at it where it wasn't going to be pass interference but he managed to position his body in, in a way that he basically rode Graham, uh, Graham toward the, 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 the boundary, and Graham had no choice. He couldn't reroute himself back inside, and the ball ended up going out of bounds. Like, I mean, it was a catchable ball, and Alexander just used his technique knowing he was giving up, what, eight inches? And um, it, it was just one play, but it was an example of, of just his versatility uh, as, a, as a smaller corner covering a gigantic target where is because we've talked a lot about the Packers and their strengths and what they're good at yeah where maybe on their defense are they weak can you attack them run defense right up the middle they stink <laughs> <laughs> my buddy uh my buddy Matt Schneidman from the athletic who covers the Packers a fellow my guy Syracuse fellow Syracuse guy has this funny line where he just Everything, if someone's bad, he says, they stink. And you know what? They stink. They, their run defense is just terrible. Um, and, and I don't – I can't figure out why necessarily it is other than that they've invested so much in their edge rushers. Um, you know, they paid Zadarius Smith and Preston Smith, and then they drafted Rashawn Gary out of Michigan all in the same offseason, 2019. They, they have a great corner in Alexander. And, and that up the middle, they're just, uh, they're just not very strong. And the other thing is, and, and most defensive coordinators are like this, 
but Mike Patton just is so committed to matching personnel. And when that means teams are playing three wides, he's always going to play nickel, which means one less defensive lineman on the field. And, uh, you know, it's the old Mike Holmgren used to do it, spread them out and run it, you know, spread them out and run. And I don't know if Patton's going to have to just at some point say, matchups be damned, we're going to have to play more base and put another big guy on the field. But um, to this point, he hasn't done it. And it's been a huge, huge issue, which is why, like, if you look at the, look at the Indianapolis game, right? Okay. So the Packers are leading 28 to 14 at halftime. And, and what are, what's most play callers plan coming out when they're down two touchdowns, they're going to throw it, right? I mean, it's just the way the league is. Well, the Colts came out, they get the ball to start the third quarter. They ran it eight straight plays, Mike. Eight straight. Lobbed their way down, score a touchdown. Now it's a one-score game. They get a stop, and they go right back to the run and, you know, score again, and now we got a tie game. I mean, very few guys – Frank Reich, very few guys would do what he did and say, you know what, we're still – we're going to stay committed to the run because we know it's their weakness, and 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 they did it. If I If I were – if I were uh, playing the Packers, I would run. Their defense is not designed to play from behind. You know, like – like the, the, I'm sorry. Yeah, to play from behind. They're designed to play with the lead and then force teams to throw, and they pin their ears back and go. If I were the other team and I won the coin toss, I would take the ball. I know everybody defers because they want this whole double up. I'd take the ball, try to score that first possession and establish a lead right away. Because this defense does not play well in that situation. Well, they played well in that situation when they played Detroit in week two. Yeah, that was uh, – they weren't as bad. I feel like they've gotten worse running the ball or, or stopping the run, I mean. It, so, theoretically, if you were, say, someone who played fantasy, you would potentially want to play – some sort of DeAndre Swift, Adrian Peterson, carry on Johnson, depending on whether or not Swift is, is good enough yeah, to go. I would. I would play every running back that ever plays the Packers. <laughs> I mean, Dalvin, what did Dalvin Cook have against these guys, 180? I mean, that's relative. Like, he had, like, 4,000 yards against the Lions. And, True. You know, True. but True. that's also because they couldn't get 11 men on the field with yeah. Patricia. The one thing I will say about their defense, though, is they've started to take the ball away. Um, a little bit more. Uh, three weeks ago, I think they had the second fewest takeaways in the league, um, and now they're they're. I think they have eight takeaways in their last three games. Don't quote me on that, but um, they've gotten uh, they've started to take the ball away a little bit more. So I want to hit on some GM candidates too, yep. because you've had a lot of the people that are being talked about as potential GM candidates roll through Green Bay at some point. Mm-hmm. How much and I ask this because I think there is some legitimate question about it because a lot of people have seen John Dorsey yep. draft Baker Mayfield, draft Patrick Mahomes. How much did he actually have to do with securing Rodgers and I guess maybe probably to a lesser extent Favre? Yeah, I mean, look, those, those you know, Rodgers and Favre were moves made by the GM, you know, but, they, you know, being on staff, I mean, Dorsey was the director of college scouting the year they drafted Rodgers, right? Okay, so he's obviously involved in the evaluation, but I mean, no one would have thought Rodgers was going to fall to him at 24. So that I think the credit there goes to Ted Thompson for just pulling the trigger, you know, um, and, and actually making the pick. But you know, look, Dorsey, you know, he, he has he he's not going to get the credit for it because he got fired in both places because he can be a difficult personality. But he built both of those rosters. I mean, he built Kansas City. He built. Cleveland, you know, and he, he hired, he made a really bad head coaching hire in Cleveland and hiring Freddie Kitchens. It was a huge mistake, but uh, from a personnel standpoint, I mean, that's his team, right? And now look at him. So, um, you know, the guys that have come through here, you know, Dorsey, Reggie McKenzie did a heck of a job, you know, building the open roster and then, you know, lost a power struggle to Gruden. Uh, John Schneider has been fantastic in, in Seattle. Um, you know, and Brian Gutekunst, who, you know, was here and now took over for, for Ted Thompson, looks like he's, you know, made some pretty good moves. We'll see how the Jordan Love pick, you know, works out in the long run. But, uh, you know, he, he obviously has done well in free agency. Um, he's done well in the draft with Alexander. 
uh, and Elton Jenkins, uh, who's, who's going to be a you know ten to twelve year starter on the offensive line. So uh, it, it's it's a it's a they, all those guys come from the, the draft and develop mindset, um, and but each one of them has a little bit of a different approach to free agency. And you know whether Elliot Wolf gets a shot, um, you know will he be more like his dad and be a little bit more active in free agency than you know Ted Thompson was, uh, you know, or, or you know that that no one knows that until those guys you know really get in the chair. So it's going back to Dorsey a little bit. When he was director of college scouting, other yeah. than Rogers, was there a guy that he you know he really pounded the table for that really worked out, and was there? Like, were there, were there, was there a guy or a group of guys that he ended up really being responsible for? No, not necessarily. I mean, like, I, and if there was, like, you know, we never knew about it. Um, they, you know, everything was kept fairly secretive in that regard. Like, I mean, you know, a lot of, a lot of the area scouts get credit. Like, for example, Alonzo Highsmith, uh, you know, was the first one that saw Donald Driver, okay? Uh, so, and Donald Driver ends up being their leading receiver of all time but Donald Driver was a seventh round pick so it's not like you know it's not like you know they, they Alonzo Highsmith like convinced them to draft him in the you know the fourth round or the third round or something I mean he's a seventh round pick you never know those guys what they're going to be but um, you know I, I just think you have to look at the overall year after year after year you know production of their drafts and know well those guys up there are doing something right you mentioned you rent. Yeah, you mentioned Reggie McKenzie. Yep. What role did he really have in Green Bay? Because I think a lot of people know him in Oakland, and obviously he's really been part of the reason that Miami's been able to turn things around yeah, under yeah. Brian Flores. So where has he kind of stood there? Yeah. So Reggie, you know, their strongest group of of of, um, of of scouts, I would say, was when so they've always had a GM, and then they've always had a, a triumvirate of top advisors, right? Whether you know, one guy was director of college scouting, one guy was director of pro personnel, one guy was director of player personnel. I mean, the titles, whatever they are. But, you know, they were at their strongest when uh, Reggie, John Dorsey, and John Schneider were all on that level. All three of those guys were right under the general manager. And, uh, you know, they all worked so well together. Reggie's uh, specialty was pro personnel at the time. Um, you know, not so much on the college side, but they all, but even the one thing that Ron Wolf and, T and Ted Thompson always did was even their pro personnel guys, they would send those guys out to college stuff, you know, maybe not, not as much as the college scouts were, but they maybe would say, he maybe would send the pro scouts out, you know, to two, three weekend scouting trips a year to, to go see college stuff, just so that they had their hands in that and, and could make connections in the, in the college um, you know, world. I don't know if other teams do that, but I thought that was pretty, uh, you know, interesting that that the pro scouts, you know, would still do some college work during the season. The structure they have now is that similar? Because like looking at how it's broken down now, it seems like it's a little bit more siloed than maybe it was under Ted Thompson. Well, here's how it's different: is that um, the GM here. Um, and the head coach here are on the same level right now. They both report to the team president, which was not how it was in the past. Um, in the past, Bob Harlan was the president. He hired the GM, and the GM had all say over football. Mark Murphy separated it after he fired Ted Thompson and said both the GM and the coach are going to report to me. He got a ton of criticism for it. Uh, but, you know, he, he's ended up making two really good hires in the GM and the coach, and they've worked together really well. And then if you look at their personnel department, um, the top three guys, well, it's really four now. Um, it, Milt Hendrickson is, is sort of uh, on in, in that um, John Dorsey, well, John Schneider role where he's director of football operations. John Eric Sullivan and John Wojciechowski are director of player personnel, and then Matt Malaspina is director of college scouting. Uh, so, so they're really now they have four guys that are sort of on an equal level right under the general manager. But um, I would say that, you know, that, that of those guys, like, I mean, John Eric Sullivan is probably the rising star of that group. Um, John Wojciechowski has been around a long time, really smart football guy, um, you know, probably could be a GM somewhere too. Malaspina is probably on that same thing, but it seems like, you know, uh, maybe it's because they're similar in age, but it seems like Gutekunst and John Eric Sullivan are sort of, you know, hand in hand with each other.
so all right let's talk a little bit about john eric sullivan in that yeah. what is he maybe bring or what could he bring to a gm's chair and beyond that do you think he's ready for that role and that responsibility yeah, i do and, and and here's the probably the best example of that uh, is that you know when mike mccarthy was interviewing for for jobs this this you know last time around ultimately got the cowboys job there were a couple of jobs where you know there were gm openings as well and it was uh, a couple of places that you know basically was gonna they were gonna hire the coach and the and the gm as sort of a package and uh, McCarthy had uh, had sort of aligned himself with John Eric Sullivan, you know, to be his to to come as a general manager coach, you know, combination. Now, ultimately, obviously, he ended up getting the Dallas job where Jerry Jones is the general manager, and they don't need to hire a general manager. But uh, McCarthy had aligned himself with John Eric Sullivan. He's he's very much in that Brian Gutekunst, young, aggressive. You know, we're going to explore everything, um, be involved in every conversation. Not not always going to be able to make everything happen, but at least explore it. You know, whereas Ted Thompson was a little bit, well, was way more committed to the draft and develop philosophy. But, uh, you know, John Eric Sullivan is uh, is has come up through the scouting ranks and has really ascended to a top position, um, you know, fairly quickly. Maybe not as quickly as an Elliot Wolf, but, but fairly quickly. You mentioned Elliot Wolf. He obviously left Green Bay. What happened there a little bit? And yeah. because he's a, he's a name that five years ago when they hired Bob Quinn was a guy yeah. that a lot of people thought maybe should have gotten the Lions job. Yeah. And now he he's is, just kind of in New England. Yeah. So, you know, he had interviewed for a couple of GM jobs over the years. Um, and I think was blocked a couple of times. I think the Packers, did the Packers block Elliott from – interviewing with the lions at one point I can't it's remember. five years ago so yeah. i don't totally remember but i just have remember changed. the rules have changed happen. i don't think you can block guys anymore but if i'm not mistaken um uh, they blocked him and that really that really upset ron wolf um uh his dad uh anyway so so elliot was one of the four or five finalists for the gm job here um and they went with brian gutekunst and didn't hire Elliot and there was no way Elliot was going to stay even though Gutekunst tried to get him to stay uh, in a top advisory role there was no way he was going to stay here after he got passed over for the head job and, and really since then as as bounced around he went to Cleveland with Dorsey and we all know you know they that whole deal and, and Alonzo Highsmith went to Cleveland with Dorsey um, those guys all got fired uh, you know and then Elliot has hooked on with New England um, and, and I've heard he's really happy there uh, but you know, again, there's a, it's it's great being happy in a in an advisory role. But uh, all these guys, you know, want just like we talked about with Hackett, all these guys want to be in the big chair. And you know, the one thing about Elliot is he is still very young. But at some point, like, are people going to wonder? Well, he's he's been a candidate for so long. Why hasn't he gotten off the? You know, why hasn't he gotten the, a job yet? Um, now, again, I don't think that's that big of a deal. But some people you know, might say that. Um, but, but look, I think Elliot's ready. I think Elliot was ready three years ago when the Packers interviewed him. Um, Mark Murphy just, you know, decided for whatever reason that Gutekunst was the better choice. And, you know, you can't, at this point, you can't question it. It's, it's gone well. So, uh, but it, that doesn't mean that I, that Elliot isn't ready because I think he is. So going back to the game and we'll end here, what do you think actually happens on Sunday because obviously there's a rejuvenated-ish Lions team, yeah. but their roster is still their roster. Right. So he, so here's what um, – I told this to somebody earlier in the week. Um, you, you always see – and I, this, is, this is anecdotally, not statistically, but you always see the first game of an interim head coach. Uh, guy, it seems like those teams win a lot, right? And I remember after McCarthy got fired in 2018 – um, and Joe Philbin took over uh, his first game, I think it was against the Falcons. And I remember a scout telling me, he goes, I guarantee you the Packers win this game because the players will come out and say, they want to show, hey, we weren't the problem. We're, you know, we're going to play our asses off just to show, hey, it wasn't us. We weren't the reason that the guy got fired. And sure enough, Packers go out, win that game, and then they kind of revert back to their – old ways you know the next game and lose and and you know i, I just I, again it's anecdotally it's I, I don't have statistical information to back it up but we saw that a little bit last week you know with the lions 
but you you regress to what your roster is at, at some point. And th- although I will say, I mean, you look over the last you know few years, these as bad as Patricia's record is. I mean, these Packers Lions games have been pretty pretty darn good, right? I mean, especially the two last year, where you know the Packers didn't lead till there were zeros on the clock in both those games in 2019. Well, even in 18. 18- the Lions swept him. Now, granted, some of that, too, was Aaron Rodgers doesn't play in the finale, or he plays and then leaves yeah, after, like, a play. Yeah. 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 I mean – Concussion. Yeah. So, <laughs> I, you, you know, you look at that. So, where do you think it ends up? I mean, this Green – I think this Green Bay team is, is pretty legit. Yeah. And more so than maybe some of the other teams over the last few years. Yeah, I think they're on a good roll. Um, and, 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 you know, I think that's most important is, you know, how they've been playing – the last couple of weeks. Now, granted, I mean, you know, they played Mitch Trubisky, uh, you know, and then they played a, a Carson Wentz, who was is not Carson Wentz anymore. So, uh, and, and, you know, look, Rodgers has always raved about Stafford. And again, I, I don't think he's just blowing smoke because, you know, he never said that kind of stuff about Jay Cutler. And so, so they're, they're, they're fully aware that Stafford is, is a more than capable quarterback and, you know, can, can, can make some unbelievable plays. So um, I do think it'll be, you know, a close-ish game, but I don't see the Packers uh, becoming derailed at this point. I, I would expect them to win, you know, by six to ten points. I'm probably in that same boat, but looks like Kenny Galladay – I mean, we're recording this on Wednesday about midday. Kenny Galladay is not expected to practice on Wednesday. I think if he does not play, the Lions have kind of taped it together, but – this is the type of game you need him. If for yeah. no other reason, then maybe it distracts Jair Alexander. Yep. <laughs> and yeah, we, no, you're right. You know, yeah, and mean, that's look, where I'll it gets this. a little dicey. I'll say this. If you're playing the Packers, you, you know, you're, you better have all your guys because, um, you know, they, they have a lot of, of strengths and a lot of things going for them right now. And if you're shorthanded, like some of these – I mean, the Bears were – you know, it was a defensive guy, but the Bears were without Akeem Hicks. You know, that's a huge, that's a huge player. Uh, and that was kind of a, you know, game time decision and they didn't have him. And, and you know, that's, a fle- uh, you know, Fletcher Cox last week was a, a game time decision. So, like, I mean, it's just, you know, they're, they're, you, you need, if you're playing Green Bay right now, you better come with everything you've got because, you know, they're, they are in a pretty good spot right now. Not, not saying they're not beatable because they are. But you're going to need to do everything right and have, have all your guys to do it. Curious to see what's going to happen on Sunday. The NFL seems to think highly enough of it that they did bump it back to the later afternoon yep. window, which I'm sure neither you nor I are pretty happy about. But Better, better 325, 425 than, the, than the, the, the night game, though. Oh, absolutely. Without a doubt. I got but two at least, more night hey. games coming up. I got two night games in a row coming up after that. Carolina on a Saturday night and Tennessee on a Sunday night. Well, I think this – I say this now, and we'll see what happens. This might be the last pushback game of the year for me, but they do now have a nationally televised game on a Saturday, the day after Christmas, against Tom Brady and Tampa Bay. But we shall see what happens. Rob, as always, thanks for coming on the show. I appreciate it. My pleasure. I want to thank my guest, ESPN's Rob Domovsky, the – very often on the program, guest. It's been great to have him on the show. I've always enjoyed when he comes on. Hopefully you learn something every time he comes on. We enjoy it. You can follow me on Twitter and on Instagram at Mike Rothstein. You can follow me on Facebook at Michael Rothstein Journalist. Please consider dropping us a five-star review. Moreover, download and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, if it happens to be on Apple, that's even better. And with that, we will talk with you again on Monday.